Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Open Floor, filling in for your host, Michael the Podpina. I'm Rohan Nagani, joined today. He's a former staff writer at Sports Illustrated. He's currently a staff writer at The Ringer. We don't talk about that much. Uh, joining me on the show, he's uncomfortably tall. It's Rob Mahoney. Rob, how's it going, buddy? It's good to be back, but it feels like you've remodeled in here. You know, it feels a little <laughs> different, a little adjacent to what I'm used to, but it's nice. I like what you've done with the place as well. Thank you. It's it's like when they reboot a show 20 years later. It, it can never look exactly <laughs> the same, but it looks a little bit the same. You know what I mean? Yes, Totally. And, and you're, I mean, I hope you're not saying, like, this is the, like, we're not the original Ocean's Eleven, is what <laughs> you're saying, right. and you're, you're the, the much better, <laughs> exactly. sexier person. Exactly, precisely. Rob, I have a story, because you made a joke once when we were co-workers that I probably thought about a hundred <laughs> times since, so you probably have forgotten, but we used to do a video show, wait. we used to do a video show for Sports Illustrated called Give and Go, that used to be hosted by Chris Mannix, and every now and then when I was first starting at SI, they used to let me host it. So Mannix used to have a line that he'd start every episode with, which was, welcome back to Give and Go, SI's critically acclaimed web series, which I thought that was a good bit, a rare good Mannix bit. So one time I was hosting Give and Go with you, and I said, welcome back to Open Floor, uh, the SI's critically acclaimed web series. And you said, I believe it's getting less critically acclaimed with each host. (laughs) And I was like, that was a really That's a good, good bit. It's a good burn, dude. And I was like, I like, I was like, but we didn't know each other that well yet, and I knew you were joking. Like, I understood that it was a joke. Okay, but I was good. Like, but I was like, damn, that was a good one. I was, uh, I was impressed. It probably was a little early in our relationship to drop that <laughs> on you, but also I stand by it. No, it's good. Listen, it's all about like pushing forward to the vulnerable moments. You know what I mean? Mm. Like why. Why exist in the weird middle area? Like, let's just go for it. So I respect. It's true. That. Well, let's get into the real today. Like, let's really yeah. <laughs> dig deep into our souls with uh, with some NBA talk. Exactly, because now is the time to be doing that. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. We do have a couple fun things to get to on the show today, including some emails. So please keep the emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail dot com. You guys have finally stopped criticizing me for my Shaq opinion, even though I'm a huge Shaq fan. I don't know what happened there. But please keep the emails coming, openfloormail at gmail.com. Rob, we had a couple news things happen this week, which is pretty strange for this time of year, late August. Usually things are laying low, but it's been kind of a strange offseason. We'll start in Oklahoma City-ish. Chet Holmgren uh, going to be miss his entire rookie season after getting injured during a pro-am game, he played in the infamous crossover game with the condensation on the floor, although Sam Presti's saying he doesn't believe that was a factor in the injury. Uh, Chet's going to have surgery. He's going to miss his rookie season. Um, my, do you think the Thunder are maybe secretly not upset about this? Is kind of my take. I, also, like, I'm not saying that they 
are, are pulling anything, I'm a little bit like, how do you know he's already going to miss the whole season? Well, it does simplify things, I will yeah. say, right? Because if, you know, if Chet is healthy and playing this season, I mean, I don't know how you feel about the Thunder, but I was probably, they were among the teams I was most excited mm-hmm. to see, mm-hmm. in part because I thought they had a chance to be pretty good. Like, I, I thought that maybe they're actually further along in their curve than people might expect, and maybe, to the spirit of your question, then maybe they might want to be. You know, maybe mm-hmm. you do want one more season of development, one more season to get a potentially high draft prospect. Maybe that's kind of what's ultimately healthiest for the franchise, because if you have what you have, which is a pretty a pretty solid, a pretty fun, a pretty interesting core between Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Josh Giddy, Chet Holmgren, I like the way all those guys fit together. I like the way their games synergize. Lou Dort, but you can't forget Lou, Dort. Look, core member Lou Dort. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how dare I forget yeah. him? I apologize. But you do have those hard questions of like, is this enough? Is there one guy in this mix who we feel comfortable saying, this guy could be a top 10 player in the NBA? Because that's kind of the theory of rebuilding, right? Is like If mm-hmm. you don't have a guy you feel at least somewhat confident could be a top 10 guy, Maybe you need to wait. And so maybe it is ultimately in their best interest, although I don't know that it's in our best interest. I was really looking forward to seeing it happen. No, I I could not agree more. Uh, This felt like the first year that maybe they were actually going to try to win some games in a few years, to be honest. And it's interesting because you mentioned Gilgis Alexander. I think he's great, and I I think he could be a top 20 player. I don't think that's a stretch. Um, I think the physical tools are there. I mean, you look at like some of his numbers the last couple of years. I mean, the shooting, finishing at the rim, everything. I mean, it, it, it's everything you're looking for in kind of a lead player. But he's been in a situation where he's not the team's not incentivized to win. Uh, he himself has been, I think, maybe even a little too unselfish. He wants to get Josh Giddy the ball in his hands, help Josh Giddy get involved, which is great. But I agree overall. Like, I'm not really worried about Chet. It's always a little concerning when, when guys his size of foot injuries. We've seen it with Zion. We've seen it with Blake. We've seen it with Ben Simmons. We've seen it with Embiid. Um, it's almost like the rookie year. If you're going to miss a year, that's the best one to miss now. I think he'll have a chance to get in even better shape for next year. But I do wonder kind of what kind of impact this prolonged purgatory that they're in is going to have on Shea because I think he's that one player that I mentioned he might not be top 10 but can he get to the can he get to top 15 I'm what is your what are your thoughts on him and do you feel like he's even because he's I don't he's obviously not old but he's almost like aging out of this core they're building there I mean he's older just by default right Mm -hmm. just because if you're talking about Chet and Giddy and, and you know potential other draft picks down the line yeah, there's a little bit of a bump there, but not so much that I think it's cumbersome. I think he he could obviously fit into whatever the next stage of competitive Thunder basketball is. And to that point, I think, like you're saying, maybe he could be a top 20 guy. I, I think we might already be talking about him as a top 20, 25 guy if he had mm-hmm. been playing. And and certainly if the Thunder had been in more competitive situations. Mm-hmm. Like, I think he has that skill set. I think a lot of the numbers are there already. And obviously those come with a grain of salt, just given what it means to stroll in and play the Oklahoma City Thunder on a, on a nightly basis right now. But nobody drives to the rim more. Nobody like There's pretty much nobody who's shakier off the bounce. And so you, you pair that with some burgeoning playmaking, some shooting that's been a little hot and cold. And I think that's probably the barometer for him is like, it, you know, is this stretch real or is this cold stretch real? Could end up defining a lot for what his game ultimately looks like. But I'm, I'm pretty bullish on what he can be. And the prospect of, of seeing that with more and more competitive players, more and more talented players, and some of these young guys just growing up over time, that's really exciting. Like, I'm, I'm not in any rush if I'm the Thunder to, to trade him, to push him out the door, to move even younger. Like, I'm really excited about what he means to everything else that we're building. Yeah, I don't want to bring up any repressed trauma by using this phrase, but I think we had him in the top 25 of the top 100 um, last season. Uh, and yeah, I, I'm really high on him. I'm curious, what did you think of, like, I feel like Chet's probably the most polarizing guy in the draft. I think some people right. see someone, this guy is everything you want in basketball in 2022. Other people are very skeptical because of his build, etc. Where, where did you fall on kind of the, the Chet debate? Um, what were your hopes for him headed in the season? I would say I fall sitting on the sideline, raising my eyebrows as people argue, because mm. I don't know anything about <laughs> yes. Chet Holmgren, yeah. really. Uh, so like I, that's 
again, part of the reason this is a bummer is for yeah. for NBA guys like me who pay zero attention to college basketball, <laughs> yes. really. I just want to I don't, see what he I is. don't even know what college he went to. If I had to guess right now, <laughs> I think, was it Gonzaga? It was Gonzaga. Okay, okay. But where does where does it feel like he went to? Like, you look at Chet Holmgren, <laughs> yeah, you're right. like, this, where does it feel like he it, went to? I don't it, know. It feels like he was um, the best player on a mid-major that made a deep mm. tourney run. I can see um, that. Like something that with the Saint in the name, maybe. Yeah, um, definitely. I feel like a, a, like a New England, you know, <laughs> yeah. North e- he went to Northeastern. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's definitely a bummer, but I do think uh, it, it is kind of interesting. I wonder if they'll go full on shameless tank for, I think, what's, what would be the third season in a row now and try to get Victor Wenbanyama. I mean... I think the the Wembanyama sweepstakes are going to be, I mean, who's the last guy teams would have even tanked for like this? I guess maybe Zion, but I, I don't remember. I mean, that season was pretty bad, but I mean, think about it. The Spurs are going to be, I think, new tankers this year. The Jazz are going to be new tankers this year. Some teams inevitably going to be bad in their first 20 games. Do you feel like this is going to be, are we going to look back on this as a historic tanking season? I think the the tempered lottery odds have helped with that and and just have helped with the sense that like you can be okay for half the season and still have time to Mm. get into that bottom group you know you don't have to take all the way to the bottom anymore if you have the third or fourth worst record it's pretty much just as good and I I think that will that will temper some of that but you're right like there's a whole new tanking order going on now (laughs) which I guess is exciting it's certainly a development uh, but to see what that looks like for the Spurs or the Jazz, I mean, we'll see with the Jazz. Maybe they end up being a, like slightly too good to be awful, uh, which would be kind of a bummer for them. But you never know. That's why I'm convinced they're going to trade Mitchell, only because his presence on the team. It's not that I think he's going to turn them back into like a top four seed, but it prevents them from doing a full on tank. Like they're in a weird position with him. I mean, look at these. The, I, I I mean, I haven't looked at their roster, but it's like. What do they have? Like it's entirely small forwards now. Who's their starting center? Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker is their starting <laughs> yeah. center. Congratulations! I, I know it's not Hassan Whiteside because I saw him at Fort Lauderdale International Airport a couple weeks ago. Just so I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, man, they're in a weird spot. But anyway, let's go to a team that uh, doesn't want to be tanking, but might end up in the lottery anyway. Uh, my hometown, Los Angeles Lakers swinging the big trade for Patrick Beverly this week. Um, the big trade. The big for trade. Patrick Beverly. The big trade. I just want to repeat that yeah. sentence. Well, we'll get to it, but in my opinion, I think it's the best move they made this offseason. Uh, let's start here, though, because I, I actually had to grade this trade for Sports Illustrated. I gave it a C- minus because, Rob, as I'm sure you remember, they signed Taylor Horton to a three-year, uh, nearly $31 million contract last summer money that could have gone to Alex Crusoe, who at that point had proven to be a better player and over yeah. the course of the next season proved to be a better player. Someone who Frank Vogel once told me reminded him of Paul George defensively uh, in a practice. Uh, I believe Ben Cohen of the Wall Street Journal wrote he's the LeBron James of LeBron James's teammates. Uh, it truly remains one of the most baffling moves that team has made. And on one hand, I give them credit for you know, recognizing the snake, cutting their losses, moving THT. But like this trade to me just serves as a reminder for how bad it's gone in Los Angeles the last couple of years. Yeah. The referendum part on the Caruso, Taylor Horton, Tucker debate. I don't even, I guess yeah. it was a debate. You know, there's, there's definitely like a, uh, a real Hooper versus moving <laughs> yeah. without the ball, subtle basketball <laughs> yes. player thing going yes. on there. But uh, yeah, I, the history seems, pretty definitive in terms of which of those guys is the better basketball player right now. And maybe Taylor Horton Tucker becomes something down the line, but we, we just haven't seen him be able to translate skill into feel yet. And so right now he's a guy who can theoretically do stuff, but what does that really get you in the grand scheme of things? And especially if you're on a team with LeBron James and, you know, in theory, a healthy Anthony Davis and in theory, Russell Westbrook doing whatever he does, like you need to be able to translate or else you're pretty much worthless. And I think that's kind of the, the zone where he found himself in with the Lakers, where he just like could not produce in the ways that they needed him to produce. And so to see him go out like this, 
I agree with you. Like the sunk cost of it is what it is. Patrick Beverly is more valuable to the Lakers than either of the players they gave up in this deal. And frankly, than a lot of the players they've gotten in free agency that they could have gotten in free agency that we could be talking about potential trades. Uh, you, you might be able to make the argument that Patrick Beverly is a better LeBron James teammate than Russell Westbrook is just in terms of how all of that fits together. That's kind of insane to say out loud, but it's also kind of true. Um, so I, I'm with you. It's like it. I I like what it does for the shape of their team. But how do you not think about how we got here? It's really depressing. Um, the Beverly the Beverly Westbrook thing is just kind of crazy. I mean, there's just no way they can keep both those guys on the team. There's like there are guys who you know, like Dwayne Wade and Rajon Rondo probably could have coexisted. Um, LeBron and Lance Stevenson could coexist. I don't think Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly. Like, I think there's a genuine, genuine hatred there. And but I they mean, said the same thing about you and I after our first give and go. <laughs> you know, after after I dropped that line on you, they said true. these guys can never be <laughs> on screen true. or on a podcast together again. And here that's, we are. That is true. But <laughs> ah, man, I mean, you could argue that Patrick Beverly, in some ways, uh, him perhaps injuring Russell Westbrook's knee is like arguably like uh the first domino in like <laughs> kevin durant requesting a trade from the nets if you really want to pull it like galaxy brain it <laughs> that's the butterfly flapping its exactly wings, exactly saying. it's pat beverly not letting russell westbrook call that time out mm. um yeah but i also i want to go back to that like beverly's the best guy they've signed this offseason right like i'm trying to think who they've gotten so far that's going to help them in a playoff series and I keep coming back to, like, I I don't need to do, like, the whole, like, you know, oh, it's clutch running the Lakers. But Lonnie Walker signing for the mid-level. And I, I understand that, like, it takes two to tangle, right? Like, Bruce Brown wants to have to sign with the Lakers. Otto, Pot- Otto Porter wants to have to sign with the Lakers. But, like, who is the who are the other two-way players they've signed on their team other than Beverly? Like, in the last two seasons, even. It's crazy to me. Yeah, I don't... Just, just on its own as a player, I don't really get the Lonnie Walker experience. Uh, he's not a guy who gets my blood pumping, you know. <laughs> you know when, I, when I would tune in to watch him with the Spurs, like I, I get, I like. I think this is the question: is not is Patrick Beverly the best offseason move? It's what is the second best move? And I guess you would argue Lonnie Walker. I, I might argue like Juan Toscano Anderson or somebody. I love JTA. It's good between him and Thomas Bryant. Except the problem with Thomas Bryant is. Like we've ex- we we all know the Lakers shouldn't actually be playing a center. Like they they have one of the best centers in the league on their team. He just doesn't play yep. the position. Um, it's really kind of a it's depressing I, to me. It's like on one hand I agree. Like it's a little bit funny. You know they obviously wanted to make this Westbrook trade, LeBron and AD, and I'm not going to claim that I know more about basketball than either of them. But it's a little bit funny that they thought that this, that was a good idea when everyone else was like, mm, not so sure about this one. Or, or just like their, you know, their, their belief in their own talent could overcome even that awkward fit. But to me, it's like I don't want to see LeBron play on such bad teams this late in his career. You know what I mean? Like we have an opportunity to have a Western Conference with, us with LeBron, Kawhi, Steph. I think the last time LeBron, Kawhi, Steph, and KD were healthy – for a postseason was 2016. Oh my god, that's bleak. I know, right? And it's like I just want to see all those guys go at it, and instead we have LeBron, you know, out here on these terrible teams. I have a question for you that I didn't put in our outline, but I'm curious because he, he, yeah. he obviously naturally comes up during this conversation. When do you think you started to turn on Russell Westbrook? Because I mean, early in his career, I mean, 2011 Finals. Remember, he had a couple 40 point games. Uh, there people were they hated him they loved him uh you know I think we saw some of the awkwardness in the fit with KD early in his career but he obviously wasn't what he was now when did you first start to be like actually I don't know about this guy well I think there's two turns I think there is the initial turn for me is I really don't know about this guy as your best player in a playoff series mm. right and that's like after KD leaves because before that, like I see the I see the issues when Durant was trying to figure out how to work work alongside him, how they were trying to fit all the pieces together. There, obviously, Russ would go off on these just like benders of turnovers and misses that that drive your team into the ground in really important games sometimes. But I thought he was giving them enough in other ways that he still made sense as a guy next to someone like Durant. 
you remove that safety net and it became clear to me pretty immediately like this is not this is not a player who is as valuable as you might think given the mm-hmm. counting stats or just given the experience of watching him like it feels it's thrilling to watch him <laughs> it's thrilling it's visceral like especially at that point in time like he was he was tearing the rim down incredibly fun player to watch but there was always something that just felt a little off so i think that's the first turn i think the second turn is probably when the rockets thing blew up and it was mm-hmm. We're, we're shipping you off to Washington because we even tried to play you in these different <laughs> we, capacities. We got rid of we, our centers. Yeah. We did everything we possibly could to accommodate the weirdness of your skill set and play you with another MVP level player. And it, it not only did it not work, it really didn't work. You know, it, 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 it played out in a way that just got picked apart in a playoff series. And so after that, I didn't really see a way for him to come back just because historically, you know, this has been talked about to death, but not a guy who has changed pretty much anything about mm-hmm. his game, despite the fact that many, many, many people within the teams he has played and worked for have asked him to, hey, could we just, like, try this? <laughs> could we try moving without the ball? Could we try, like, can we get you to set more ball screens? Can we do literally anything to make your game fit the modern NBA a little bit better? And he just does not seem super receptive to that kind of input. I, I, would, I need to look up how many ball screens he actually ended up setting this year, but I remember early in the Lakers season... I was like, oh, he screened for LeBron in the fourth. This is it. And then they just – it never, ever, ever came close to being a regular thing. It's its kind of sad to me. Again, like he, we, he was such an exciting player to watch, and he had moments early, you know, in that first finals run. And the, I seriously, like the Thunder were a weirdly snake-bitten team. They had the Russ yeah. injury one year. They had Katie's injury one year. Um, you know, they ran into that crazy Spurs team uh, – you know that Heat Finals was way closer than the four one series suggests. Like they, they just had they had the weirdest luck. Um, is there a world right now in which Russell Westbrook's a better partner for Kevin Durant than Kyrie Irving? Is that in the realm of possibility or no? Interpersonally, it just still seems hard. But also, I think anyone on Earth might be a better running mate for Kevin Durant than Kyrie Irving. So you're. <laughs> I don't even know how to weigh those two yeah. things against one another. You know? how, how do you feel about it? I I think I'm at the point where I'd I'd like to see it again. I think I'm almost ready to see it again. Just <laughs> you want to play the hits? Yeah, I want to play the hits. I I think on paper again, everything about Kyrie would suggest he is uh, the better person to have on the floor. But and even considering Westbrook's strained relationship with the Durant. I, I I can't believe I'm about to say this. I think I almost count on him more in a playoff series than Kyrie. Oh my god! Like in terms of like mindset for every single game, if that makes sense. Yeah. I but I have no idea. I mean, there's no way, right? There's no way. Probably like, Kyrie is capable of being a better playoff player, but I think what's hard with Kyrie is when we talk about him as a playoff performer. It goes to the 2016 finals. It goes to immortal shots yes. that can never be taken away from you. And then we just kind of sweep under the rug. <laughs> the like, last six years? <laughs> him completely imploding when he was with the Celtics. Like, demanding to guard Giannis and then getting destroyed. Like, all of these weird quirks. And even with the Nets, like... You After know, game uh, one of the Celtics series. <laughs> done. Just done. And, like, the, with the first year with him and Harden and Durant, obviously caveats with injuries with those three guys and the way, you know, just even who was on the floor. That's kind of in its own category. But the times that Kyrie has been on the floor with more or less healthy teams since winning the championship have not been super heartening. And that's when he's on the floor and not, you know, making a very principled, martyred stand about the vaccine. <laughs> um, yeah, it- I'll just say, like, he's one of the, I think, a deeply overrated playoff performer. And I'm, I'm definitely not going to suggest he, like, rode anyone's coattails in 2016. He was really good. But also, yeah, he was playing with, like, uh, of, like a second-peak LeBron. You know what I mean? And it was a, it's a weird time. And it's just like, but people love the guy. It's, it's a fascinating situation. You and I are not realistically going to be able to unpack it today so i think it's time to get into some emails rob uh we got a couple exciting ones we do we got an email a few weeks ago that i really loved 
But since then, Kevin Durant rescinded his trade request, so I'm not going to save it. But the gist of it was like, who's most to blame, KD, Harden, or, or Irving? And I'm like, that's such a good email. But but oh, like inevitably, we'll have time to get back to it soon. Don't worry. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So this next email comes in from Scarlett Pope. Scarlett writes in, Hi, pod hosts and crew. As a longtime listener, I've really enjoyed the off-season's run of hosts as different perspectives are always great to hear to help inform my own perspectives. My question is based on one of the biggest differences in perspectives from my own. Uh, Scarlett goes on to write, How deep is the average NBA playoff roster? With the rise in talent levels across the league, the average NBA team is more talent than ever, with players like Isaiah Thomas and many others left to play in other leagues as the bad teams do not have room for them. As a Timberwolves fan, I've never seen so much depth on a Wolves roster. We've got talent on 2A and Exhibit 10 contracts that usually sit on guaranteed contracts in the 7 to 12 slots. Uh, there's no question in my mind that the league is ready for expansion. Uh, so, Rob, this is a bit of a two-parter here. I'll start here. Do you feel like playoff rosters are deeper than they have been in the past? Because I'm actually... I, I'm not sure I fully agree with that, but I, I would like to hear your take first. What do you think about the direction of playoff rosters? I don't. They, they might be slightly deeper than they have been in the past, but I think the problem is with the way that the game is played mm-hmm. right now. It's never been easier to exploit the players who aren't ready. You know, whether they're too young, whether they're too old, whether they're too slow, whether they just like present a mismatch for whatever reason. 
there are guys on almost every playoff team who just become unplayable over the course of a run. And so that's why when we're talking about average playoff teams, <laughs> Tyler Hero. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, yeah. perhaps. I mean, yeah. Eric Spolster might agree with you yeah. at times. Certainly, certainly, Pat Riley does, given his yeah. comments this, this off season. <laughs> but uh, I mean, average playoff team to me means like a like a first round exit team, basically. Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe a slightly competitive second round team. And so when you think about like what the Minnesota Timberwolves were last season, how many like playoff ready guys did they really have? Like, did they have enough to field a nine man rotation in the playoffs? Like really competently, really sturdily. And I think the answer to that is most nights probably not. And I think that's kind of where the average playoff team is. And so when you talk about things like expansion, I think really what you're talking about is does adding two teams or does any of the other litany of changes we're talking about with the NBA in terms of like potential CBA renegotiation or renegotiation or whatever, will it change the dynamic of these teams enough that like three stars aren't on the same team and therefore can exploit these teams that don't necessarily have the best role players, right? Like I think all of these issues are kind of tied up in one another because yeah, the 300th best player in the NBA and the hypothetically 400th best player in the NBA, those guys are not that far apart. That's more of a like the needs of your team, the specifics mm-hmm. of your tastes. But I like I don't know that I would say that these teams are like iron, like, like bulletproof necessarily in their rotations in a way that they haven't been before. For sure, I, I think it's a couple of things you mentioned, like the strategy. The strategy is so much better now. There are some players that just played off the floor, so yeah. it's interesting. It's almost like. I look at the team like the Grizzlies, which I think doesn't have a conventional like two-star, three-star, you know, that we're accustomed to top seeds having. They had a lot of guys who could play on the floor in a playoff series, I think, for but, you know, guys who maybe aren't moving the needle at the same time. Like, I think D'Anthony Melton's not getting played off the floor, but he's not necessarily moving the needle for you either. So it's interesting. Like, in, in that sense, I think there's definitely, like you said, the guys across the league, top to bottom, are better, but... Like, you just can't play in a high-level playoff game now if you can't defend. Like, you have to be on – you have to be basically James Harden offensively. I mean, what's like – who's, like, the worst offensive player that can stay on the floor in the playoffs because of how bad they are on defense? Like, I think that's an interesting question. I'm trying to think who it could be. I mean, Kyrie is honestly maybe in the conversation. Like, because some guys are just – their teams are going to go after them almost every single possession in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I think it depends on need for a lot of these mm-hmm. teams, right? Like, they're, especially the, the teams that have a very clear superstar guy. Like, you have Luka Doncic on your team. You kind of need to play Jalen Brunson a lot, despite <laughs> yeah. the fact that he can't really guard anybody. Um, and so, like, there are guys like that who it's like, just because we need the playmaking, we need the shooting, we need, we need just guys who are going to be guarded, who end up being able to, to stick out there. But at some point or another, they get targeted. And all you can hope is that you don't bump up against the team that can exploit you to the point that you lose, right? Like the exact antithesis of what you are stylistically or positionally or whatever that looks like. But that that is a great question. Like the worst offensive players, I bet that'd be a pretty compelling list. It I could think you be. Might, yeah. You might ruffle a feather. <laughs> there or two. it is. Yeah, um, Brunson's an interesting one. I like Brunson too. It's also it's so funny because at the end of the day, it's like even with all that said, like you still have to go score on the guy and it's easier said than yep. done. Like there were times that Devin Booker is targeting and it's like, and he shoots seven for 16 that night instead of nine. And like your team loses. It's, it's a, uh, it's such an interesting calculus, especially that just how different playoff basketball is from regular season basketball. I want to, I do want to get your opinion on relocation. I, I, I say this as someone who's like, um, proudly in a union. So I probably shouldn't say this. I'd rather they got rid of two teams than add two more. But how do you feel Which about the name? Of, which two? Which two are you accent? <laughs> um, <laughs> this is like you saying my guy got snubbed for All Star. You got to say who you're taking off the team. You know, I listen. Does New Orleans want the Pelicans? Are we sure they want a basketball team? Um, I think, I think Oklahoma City's proven to be a really good market when the team is good. I had fantastic ramen. You know, when I was in Oklahoma City, shout out to Gun Izakaya also. Really good food. But do NBA players want to play in Oklahoma City? Like, at some point, I think we should consider that. Like, you know, small markets are complaining. It's this and that. But it's like, well, was the NBA doing this 
team a favor, really, by putting them in a market that no one actually wants to sign with. So I'm not saying get rid of those two, but I'd be, I'd be you know, exploring my options there. I'd be doing some research. Just typical coastal elitism. This is, this is the model where it's like we should have 10 teams in the NBA, five in L.A., five in New York. Okay, okay. Call it quits. New Orleans is on a coast um, in my defense. Um, the Gulf Coast does yeah, not count as not a coast. Count, okay, the third coast. No. That is actual coastal elitism. <laughs> uh, if we want to get into it. I And I'd say this to someone who hasn't been to New Orleans. I love the city. Like I feel like as soon as I go there, I'm going to fall in love with it. Um, you know, I'm obviously very excited to try all the food, but it just feels like even the, I don't know. I, I'm sure there are a lot, I'm sure there are many, many passionate Pelicans fans, but it just doesn't seem like a place that's ever gotten too crazy excited about basketball. And I, even though their team was in, incredibly fun this year. Well, so what makes you want to consolidate the league by a team or two? I mean, I just think that by the second half of last season. How many, like, Thunder games were you watching? Like, how many Rockets games were you watching? I just, I get to a point every year where I'm like, some of these teams are so bad. And I will say, and this is not an original take, I do think even the bad teams, quote-unquote bad teams in the NBA right now, are fun, are interesting. Like, I did enjoy watching the Pistons last year. Like, after they got Marvin Bagley, weirdly, I was like... (laughs) That's what did it for you. Yeah, like, there's a weird alchemy here that I enjoy. And, like, obviously, Cade Cunningham is sick. That, yeah, I mean, I, it just is, at the end of the day, it's more competition. I watch for the competition. Like, I want, you know, as I, I don't know, if it's like, Golliver and Sharp always used to make fun of me that once I turned 30, like, my opinions would change, and they were right. They were 100% <laughs> right. I'm turning 30 in a month. And it's just all I can think about is, like, I just want to see, like, good competition every single night. I mean, we certainly get closer as you start paring down teams, for mm-hmm. sure. But I think you'd run into some version of that problem no matter what, right? Like, you take away two teams, the talent consolidates, the the bottom teams are still pretty bad, yeah. and the top teams theoretically get stronger. I mean, like, you would like to think the talent is evenly dispersed, but mm-hmm. realistically, what's going to happen is the best 10 teams are going to get the majority of those good <laughs> players who are kind of, who are brought in. I think where I would hesitate, and probably where I lean more toward adding two teams, even relative to standing still is I love the stories of the end of the roster guys who make it, the guys mm-hmm. who figure it. You know, mm-hmm. even if it's a guy who takes, like, if P.J. Tucker comes into a 2018 league, does he stick around in the NBA? How, okay, how dare you? How yeah, dare I'm, you? I'm just saying. <laughs> yes, this is a pro P.J. Tucker podcast. He makes it no matter what. P.J. Tucker is an all-star in the Open Floor podcast universe, in the OF. Pu, he's a he's an all star in my book. But anyway, he's, unbe- he's unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. if it if it takes you eight years before you really yeah. settle into a role, there's less room for those guys. And so I like just for the sake of the diversity of the kinds of people who are in the league, the experiences, what they're bringing to the table in terms of basketball, and some some like unconventional skill sets who just need time to settle in with the right team. You know whether whether it's like a, you know these kind of the, the weirdos of the league in terms of, you know, the, the Boris Diaw type players, mm-hmm. essentially, are the guys that I'm thinking about. And I want to give those guys as much room as possible to make it. And I feel like the more we, we cut down the number of teams, at least, the harder it gets. Now, if you want to talk about consolidating the schedule to make the games more competitive, any of these other solutions, I'm all for it. Uh, but give me, give me Las Vegas and Seattle, you know, like, get, like let's, let's, let's do this thing. Yeah, I mean, we talked about that a little bit on the show. I mean, we're fully there. Do you have a – I got killed for my Las Vegas team name suggestion. Uh, what was went, your suggestion? <laughs> so John Gonzalez suggested the Las Vegas villains. I was like, all right, that's pretty good. I said they should lean all the way in and go Las Vegas dice. I think they could have a great mascot. I kind of um, like it. Thank you. Okay, but do you have a, do you have a suggestion, any, any name you want to throw? Into the I ring here. I have to think. I, on I'm it, putting I, you on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. No, but I like dice or any play off of dice because I do like the the like the possibility of a giant dice mascot. Like we could do Las Vegas <laughs> yes. bones. We yeah. could do Las Vegas. Like I, I, again, I have to yeah. think about you know a lot of the gambling metaphors have already yeah. been uh, pretty picked over as far as Las Vegas thing names. Yeah. And then you have to. Then there's a question of like, how much do we want to associate? Exactly. Like, if the league is already pretty in bed with gambling yeah. in general. What's the harm at this point? 
But I, you know, I think you're onto something. I'm in your corner on that. There one. we go. Thank you. You could have two different dice mascots. You know, I love uh, that. You know, <laughs> I actually yeah, really like come that. On, yeah. Um, so many good like dice themed uh, like timeout entertainment opportunities. Like roll a giant dice, and when it, it just feels like uh, they're leaving something on the table there. I do agree. I'd like to see teams in Vegas and Seattle. Um, have you been to Oklahoma City? You've been, right? Of course, yeah, many times. Uh, your thoughts on OKC as a destination? As as a basketball market? Yeah. I think they've proven it. Mm-hmm. Like Again, in terms of if you want to go by strictly market size, TV market, obviously they are not on the level, and they're going to be among the bottom probably five teams in the league in terms of those kinds of market demographics, but the fans show up, good or bad. There's a lot of energy around that team, good or bad. I think that's not something you can say for for every team in the league. That's true. Um, so I am I am pro Oklahoma City as an NBA market, but I understand why some people look at the league and say like OKC, Memphis, New Orleans, basically all Charlotte, yeah. all these teams below a certain size in terms of city. Why they kind of raise their eyebrows at it? But I, I kind of dig it. Like I I, yeah. I don't want every team to be. Even I agree. A, even a Milwaukee size. City. Yes. You know, like I, like, I like the variation of those things. Even I mean, if I, NBA players don't necessarily want to live there. I will say, like, having been to Charlotte, I, I really like Charlotte. I loved Oklahoma City. I, I And I say this to someone who didn't realize it got cold. I just assumed it didn't get cold in Oklahoma, and I was there in December, and I was absolutely freezing. And I'm with you. The fans are good. To me, there is just, like, my only issue with it would be if the players aren't going there, will you ever be able to make up for that? disadvantage and i don't know if that means getting rid of the cap or you know whatever the case may be like that to me is kind of my issue with it yeah i definitely didn't mean to insinuate that there's an issue with the city but uh hold on i'm getting a (laughs) our producer shelby likes to text me suggestions and he said miami should trade name uh miami should change its name to the miami vice Ooh. Who, who becomes the Heat then, Shelby? Does Las Vegas become the Heat and then Miami becomes the Vice? I can see that. He says Vegas becomes the Heat, Miami becomes Miami Vice. I don't. I, I think that would be a little uncomfortable, but I like where your head is at, Shelby. I like <laughs> uncomfortable where... in, in the drug associations? Is that yeah. what you're saying? <laughs> no, just like you can't have a. Like everyone's going to know. Like the Heat has like brand recognition theoretically. He does sure. say it's. He's. <laughs> Oh, my God. Shelby points out that, A, it's hotter in Las Vegas. B, that it happened with the Hornets. That <laughs> <laughs> So he's got a point. He's got me on that one. Um, or what if what if we just move the Miami Heat to Las Vegas? You know, I'm sure I'm sure you'd be OK with that. Right. <laughs> honestly, I, honest in some ways, yes, because I live closer to Vegas now than I do Miami. So uh, that would be kind of fun. Uh, all right, Rob, let's move on to another email. Uh, this one came in a little while ago, and I've been wanting to get to this one, so I'm excited. And I think you're the right person for this because you have some experience with ranking players from your oh, Sports Jesus. Illustrated days. I know. Hold on. I really got to scroll back for this one. Um, okay, Rob. As you know, the Golden State Warriors won the NBA Finals this year. Um why am I not able to find this email? This is this is what happens when you produce a show like this, people. It's just you're the ammo is live, you know what I mean? Anyway, this one this email comes in from Gordon. This is how long this long long ago this email was written because he addressed it to Michael Rohan and Chris. Um <laughs> two people of which have not been on this podcast in a long time. They're doing well though. Shout out to the pod and Chris Herring. Shout out to the pod, baby. We gotta get um Pina's baby some heat gear but by the way just a quick update on Michael Pina so people know how he's doing he like DM'd me the other day uh to talk trash about Tyler Hero and I was like go be with your child um he just is <laughs> he's relentless even in parenthood it's really ridiculous you're, you're so in his head he's abandoning <laughs> exactly. his duties as a rent, father rent talk free. Trash yeah to exactly rent free rent free all right, Gordon writes in, Michael Rohan and Chris, I'm a longtime listener dating back to the days of Ben and Andrew and a very big fan. The Open Floor podcast often keeps me company on my morning walks. Thank you for the work. The show is always enjoyable. Gordon, thank you for listening. Um, Gordon goes on to write that he's a big Warriors fan. 
And he makes the case for why Clay and Draymond should have been included in the NBA's, he calls it the top 76, which is a good point because there was a tie. Uh, he said neither made the list. Uh, and even after their fourth championship in eight years, those two and Steph are still getting plenty of disrespect. Just listen to Skip Bayless, Rob Parker, etc. Don't listen to those guys, actually, would be um, my suggestion. Anyway, Gordon writes, my open floor question is this. The Warriors have now won four championships and visited the final six times in eight years. Is that strong evidence that either A, both Clay and Draymond should have been included in the NBA Top 76 players list, or B, if not, Steph is significantly underrated as an all-time player? Yeah, I would go toward the latter mm. more than the former. And uh, l- let, me, let me answer this question with another question, which ah. is if we're going to talk about Clay. Clay in particular, but also Clay and Draymond as potential top 76 ridiculous number uh, <laughs> players in NBA history. In their own era, what was Clay Thompson's peak? Like, was, was he? Because mm. I, I don't think, you know, when we were doing top 100, I don't think we ever had him higher than maybe low to mid 20s in any given season. Draymond, I want to say maybe, maybe we had him in like the 11 to 13 range when he was just out of his mind defensively and started shooting better. But if you've never been a top 10 player in your own time, can you be a top 76 player in NBA history? That seems like a stretch to me. This is an interesting question because if we really, really wanted to litigate the the list, I've said this before, I'll say it again, no disrespect, my apologies to the Mikan family. But yeah, Draymond would have packed up George Mikan. There's no question about it. Udonis Haslam probably would have too. Um, It's like the guy was famous for the guy was famous for layups. Like, okay, bro, go off. Um, (laughs) <laughs> in all seriousness, in all seriousness, I do think part of the quote unquote issues with the list stem from it's, an, you know, there's some people who got grandfathered in and it's very hard, as you know, Rob, to sit down and write out 75 great players devoid of their contacts. It's And with Clay and Draymond, it's interesting because we've never even seen them on other teams. Like we've never seen them have to do it without Steph. Like it's yeah. possible there. Clay is really the the interesting one because i think it's possible his peak could have been higher had he been asked to lead his own team but there's no way of knowing and there's you could argue kind of either side of it realistically draymond draymond's an interesting one to me (laughs) they're both fascinating i take it because he's one of probably the if you had to say top x greatest defensive players of all time like what's Draymond top 10 top 5 I would say top 5 yeah right like peak Draymond and you saw it for spurts this year during the playoffs is man I'll just never there's like one Draymond play that's literally etched into my mind and it's the play-in game against the Lakers they had last season and it's like late in the fourth quarter and it's like Draymond has turned it up and he's like guarding a pick and roll and his body is just so perfectly positioned in a drop coverage that I think it's LeBron doesn't have a lane to drive and he doesn't have a lane to pass. And it's like he just knows how to put his body there in a way no other player knows how to put their body there. You can teach it to them a million times, but his positioning is so sound and his instincts are so good that it's... And so how could you say that one of the five best defensive players in the history of the NBA is not also one of the top 75 players? You know what I mean? It's a compelling argument. Uh, but, I mean, I don't, I don't hear a lot of, like, why isn't Rudy Gobert on this list? <laughs> oh, you know you, what I mean? You have Gobert in your top five. Not necessarily. <laughs> but, I, I, look, I think, like, let's put the, the older legends in their own category because okay. I agree there's just complications in reconciling yeah. George Mikan with Draymond Green. That's just who, a very and, difficult and, and thing. And also, it's like, Mikan, like, there are a lot of players who are great players in their era, and we all agree with modern, whatever, they probably wouldn't sure. great in this one as well. So continue. The, the tricky part for me is Anthony Davis over Draymond Green. Yes. Damian Lillard over Draymond Green, right? I mean, like these Anthony, are guys who were Anthony Davis over not Dwight MVPs, Howard. Yeah, right. Like these are yeah. not MVPs. These are not champion. Like Anthony Davis has one championship as the second best player on a team. These are not guys with long illustrious playoff histories that cannot be denied. They're really good players who, for significant chunks of their careers, have been top ten NBA guys during their era, which is very impressive. 
I, I, I could understand the argument for, like, I, if I'm Draymond, I could understand being pissed off about that. If I'm Clay, maybe less so. You know, like, mm-hmm. if, if I'm Clay and I'm looking at this list, like, what is my model? I guess you could argue that could he have been Reggie Miller? Could he have been Ray Allen? Could he have been, like, that kind of player? Maybe. But I, I have serious doubts about what he would have been as a first option. And I think history is probably going to look on him as favorably as it, as it could have, given the way his career has turned out. I'm like, I mean, honestly, like, to hell with this list anyway. Like, go go, <laughs> yeah. sh- go go shine your rings. Go enjoy your life. Like, this is not the be-all, end-all of, of your NBA validation. Like, you've got plenty to say you the are The jackets are pretty sick, though. The jackets They're, are pretty yeah. sick. It's true. Once they bust the jackets out, it is hard. it's hard to turn that down. I got to be honest, though. Um, like, Dwayne Wade posted a video of him, like, unboxing his jacket or something. And when, like, the Bulls and Cavs logo are on there, I'm just, he had to feel some type of way. Like, did, they, did they have to put the Cavaliers logo on it? He had, there's, you think there's no way that Cavs patch is staying on Dwayne Wade's top 75 jersey? Come on. Now, I, yeah, I just want to see, like, the Hakeem Olajuwon or, like, the oh Pat Ewing. Oh, my God, you know, right. See Come all on. these random logos from late career stops. I mean, you got to do it. You can't have Cavs erasure. <laughs> Um, I do like to often refer to Dwayne Wade as the best player in Cavs, Bulls, and Heat history. So that's a fun one. Um, I I do think the second part of Gordon's question is very interesting. Is it possible that Steph is somehow still underrated all time? And it's funny because a lot of people were saying, is Steph top 10 after this finals? And I'm like, I think it's pretty obvious. I, I think Why are no we question asking the question? Yeah. I mean, the, the real question is how high, you know, yes. it's – as opposed to, you know, I guess it's still technically lowering the limbo bar, but can you go, can you make the argument for top seven? Is there a world in which you could make the argument for top five? Uh, part of the thing is, is just we have such a better understanding now of what not only he can do with the ball in his hands, but just like what the mere threat, the mere suggestion you know, the mere aroma of a Steph Curry can do to an opposing defense. Like, how... How high would you be comfortable making the argument for Steph for? Not to make you, like, rank your top six, you know, right now. But, like, how high would you be willing to argue for him? I could hear arguments for top five. And I think top seven is probably a little more realistic. Like, maybe he's in that six to eight kind of range ultimately. But the idea that he wouldn't be top ten is ridiculous. I, you know, he's much closer to being the best point guard in the history of the NBA than he is to not being a top 10 player. Mm. You know, like I, I think he's, he's in those kinds of conversations. He's, he's in the conversations with the best players we've ever seen, the most accomplished players we've ever seen, and he's not done. Like This is an incomplete resume for him coming off of a truly dominant finals performance at his age. So like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be one to deny that when all is said and done, he could be a top five player. Is there a world for you... In which he could, because we we kind of lived this once before. I think with Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant, where Kobe was so was such a flashpoint, and then like by the end of their careers, it's Shaq too. By the end, of all three of their careers were kind of like, wait a second, like Tim Duncan maybe had a better career than all these guys. Um, is there a world in which Steph could overtake someone like LeBron for you? I think that would be hard. I think LeBron is is pretty firmly entrenched at this point. But if we're talking about him as top five, almost everyone else is on the table, yeah. right? Like it's, it, you know, really it depends on how you want to shake out that three and four spot or, or going into the five and six spots in terms of what, like, who, which historical greats you prefer. But I, I think LeBron is, is pretty well locked in and deservingly so. If the Warriors somehow, and I don't think that this is going to happen, but it's not impossible. I think that they'll be, I think they probably are in the top three to, in terms of my personal contender list this year, um, if they won two more championships and Steph won maybe at least one more finals MVP and maybe the other one, it's that thing where he's obviously the best player on the team, but mm-hmm. you know Andrew Wiggins is a sentimental vote. Um, is there a if he wins two more rings? Is it, is it a do we now have a Steph Lebron honest to God conversation? Yeah, I'm not like I'm not saying there can't be a conversation about um, it now. Frankly, yeah, okay. like if, if you if, if we want to stack up the cases, like I think it's worth deliberating. But man, if he, if he wins two more titles, that top five conversation starts yeah. to get really easy. Yeah, you know. Um, 
it would be fun. It was really good to see. I think the Warriors have this revival season, and I'm really excited about next year because it again we say this going into every season. So much of it depends on health, but if we have like a healthy Nuggets, a healthy Clippers, a healthy Warriors, the Lakers managed to trade Westbrook. Like we could have a true. I mean, we haven't even talked about Luca. We haven't talked about the Suns. Like a true absolute kind of uh, bloodbath in the Western Conference. I do want to ask about the Clippers because I believe your last cover story at Sports Illustrated was on the Clippers. Am I right? Or was it the Rockets? You did the Rockets that year. Yeah, Rockets was the last one. Right. It was shared with the Clippers with someone else wrote the Clippers story. We've been a little Clippers pilled on this podcast. Like, um, if, if you had to tell me your, like, Western Conference favorite right now because i think the east it's pretty clearly boston unless you want to make the case for someone else i'll let you but if you had to pick a western conference team right now that you i'll I'll give you the scenario i've been giving a lot of our guest hosts okay recently you are in massive gambling debt uh you get back all the money you need to pay it off but instead of paying it off you make another terrible bet and now you're deeper in the hole than you've ever been and you know they're they're People watching your family, uh, all your loved ones are in danger. You got to make one last bet to win it all back. Who are you? Who are you betting on to make it out of the Western Conference and make the NBA Finals? Not to further radicalize you, but <laughs> I am also picking the Clippers. There we this go. Is, this is how I win, bro. You know, this is <laughs> this is how we're gonna do it. And, like I, I'm just so swayed by the depth and talent and all the combinations they can put on the floor. And I know it's ridiculous. I know we haven't seen this team come to fruition in any meaningful way yet. But I think everything they could be is too enticing to pass up. And so, yeah, no, uh, no not to disparage the Warriors or the Nuggets or anyone else, but I'm, I'm, I'm in on the Clippers experience. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're everything we've wanted to see, I think, from a basketball team in this era with their combination of kind of wings, defense, and shooting. So it would be really interesting to see if it comes to fruition. I definitely don't want to sleep on my Nuggets, though. We all saw that uh, Jokic shot over Giannis there that was sick unbelievable absolutely unbelievable this is it we've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge (sighs) is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi oh my look at that he is and you will not believe where he's going next the Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win Unbelievable! When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. 
Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rob, I want to end with a couple quick fun things here first. We haven't had a Love Island Minute in a few weeks. Um, I just want to wrap up. I know the season ended. Congratulations to Davide and Ekin Sue. I think that they are not necessarily the traditional winners, but I think in terms of the entertainment value they provided us, they're absolutely worthy. Rob, I'm trying to think of an NBA comp for Ekin Sue to make you understand. I've been mm. describing her as a generational talent on this podcast. <laughs> She's just an absolute tour de force. Jesus Christ. <laughs> She's, I mean, what's the drama that she wrought in the villa? I mean, Davide too. I mean, Davide is no, from the accent to the way he pronounces words, like naturally. Um, the guys just, they're both legends. And I'm glad that the, I'm glad that our viewers across the pond, our comrades in, in the UK, recognize that it's okay to vote on a couple that was entertaining, not necessarily the most in love. You know what I'm saying? So I've seen I've seen two episodes. Oh, okay. Show. There we go. Uh, started the first two episodes and then saw the total episode count for the season. Oh, come on, Rob. And I pulled the adjust. Who, who's got time for sixty episodes? Are Brother, you watching all? It's these? the it's the NBA off season, dude. What, do you, what oh. else you got going on? Listen, Rob. You watch. It's really easy. You just throw on one a day. Maybe you're doing some laundry. You know. Uh, doing some chores around the house, uh, eating a meal. It's just always there for you. You can skip the unseen bits. You can skip the after suns, you know. Uh, it's doable. I'm telling you it's doable. Well, if nothing else, it's incredibly helpful for great British slang. Exactly. I never would have known what grafting meant if exactly. not for Love Island UK, so I appreciate it. I was literally explaining slang to someone, like Love Island slang in person to someone the other day, and I recognized how ridiculous this is. <laughs> um, I want to end with a segment that John Gonzalez and I have been doing intermittently on this podcast. Um, it's our bad movie corner that titles a work in progress. Um, just recognizing our bond for like, sometimes you just need to watch the most basic action movie on Netflix. You know what I mean? Like nothing else is going to do it. Like, yeah, some nights you want to watch a David Fincher movie or a Jordan Peele movie, but some other nights you want to watch final score, the Dave Bautista diehard ripoff that takes place in a soccer stadium in which he literally deep fries someone's face. Oh my God. Yeah. He sticks. It's, I don't. I mean, I guess it's a spoiler, but yes, he sticks someone's face in a deep fryer. Um, Rob, I just, I'm curious, like, has, has there been a best bad movie that you've seen recently? Um, this is a safe space to recommend. You know, I know that you're someone who likes good movies, but what's, what's kind of the, it doesn't have to be trash, but what's, what's maybe the best bad movie you've seen uh, in recent times? Okay, so my, my problem with this prompt is <laughs> I've, you know, I've tried to go undergo the transformation in my own life. Where I feel no guilt yes, about watching I, I, anything. I agree. I agree. I'm consuming it all. I, I let me. I want to be clear that when I say this, it's with love, and I use "bad" in quotation marks because it's we. Res, I respect the artistry of Final Score. I really do. Pierce Brosnan is in, in it, and one of the plots involves extensive plastic surgery. It's like it's like it's like that thing where it's like you're just like how are we going to reconcile that? It's like I got it. Extensive plastic surgery. But they meant it. Um <laughs> so I loved it. I loved it. So yes, I say this not asking you to feel any guilt whatsoever. But yeah, I, no, I'm certainly not immune to the charms of like a roadhouse, mm. you know, a face-off certainly. See, I would say these are just great movies. Yeah, face-off so. is Face Off absolutely rips. I'm trying to think of other ones I've seen recently. Have you ever seen uh, this movie, Tammy and the T-Rex? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> okay, so it's this amazing movie that was like lost to time, starring Paul Walker and Denise Richards very what? early in their career. Uh, the premise <laughs> is they're a couple, Paul Walker 
dies. I think he falls into like a like a lion's den at a zoo or something and gets eaten. I can't remember how he dies. Anyway, his brain is put into an animatronic T-Rex's body. No way! Um, so, so this movie, it was shot and filmed and written to be like an adult comedy, basically. They made the movie. They thought, oh my God, this is awful. So they recut it to be a kid's movie. And now, they are, have, now they've re-released the original cut in all of its glory. And I, I would highly recommend seeking this out. It's, it's a fantastic watch. I think it's like maybe early, mid-90s. Uh, but it's sensational and perfect for exactly this kind of, I want to turn my brain off and watch Paul Walker be a T-Rex. My mind is blown <laughs> right now. You're like, not only did you come in with a, I was like, I, I, I'm at a loss for words with that caliber of suggestion you just came in with. Also, I could not think of a better, like pre 2008 casting than Paul Walker and Denise Richards. It's a it's it's a heater of a cast, you know. Like th- those two are undeniable. You just what can you do? I'm I'm completely shocked right now. <laughs> that this movie... I'm, I'm going to send you the trailer, and you're going to be even more shocked at how much you need to see this movie in your life immediately. Wow. Well, I know exactly what I'm doing. It's it's 10 a.m. here on the West Coast, but I know exactly what I'm doing. Uh, right after we wrap this podcast, us wrap this podcast up. Rob, thank you so much uh, for joining everyone. I'm sure our open floor fans are obviously familiar with your work, but if somehow you're not, make sure you check out everything Rob is doing at the Ringer. He's I'm surprised we were able to book him. You and Sharp, like the two, you know, it's our NBA preview issues coming out soon for SI. I, you know, I'm trying to get athletes to do it, but I was I'm more confident in securing them than I was. Uh, you for this podcast. I mean, you're just a podcast star now. If you don't read Rob work on the ringer, you can hear him on the Bill Simmons podcast. You host one of the weekly shows, right? Like you and Waz, that's a weekly thing. Cause it pops Me, up. In, yep. It pops up in my feed, but every time I'm like, is this a, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm too old to like keep track of, <laughs> you know, but he hosts a weekly show. Um, I, you can find it like under the ringer NBA show. Exactly. Exactly. So the Ringer NBA show, if you subscribe to that on podcast, you get all the Ringer's NBA podcasts, including Rob. Um, Rob, thank you so much, man. Appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me. It's, it's good to be in your house doing this podcast. <laughs> If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. 
I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.